Open your Bible up to Proverbs chapter 7. It's on page 630 if you're using the church Bible. Uh, This chapter is a bit like a hinge in the book of Proverbs, connecting chapters 5 and 6 together to chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 5 through 7 all warn about the folly of extramarital relations. Proverbs 5 contrasts the disaster of adultery with the joy of married love. Chapter 6 that we looked at last week focuses on the role of the heart in facing temptation, the internal experience of temptation. But then Proverbs uh, 7, it again opens with a call to guard our hearts, but then it focuses on the external circumstances of temptation. But Proverbs 7 also links with the chapters that are coming, chapters 8 and 9. The seductive speech in Proverbs chapter 7 stands in contrast to the appeal of Lady Wisdom in chapter 8. And then in Proverbs chapter 9, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly both call to the simple to come to their feasts. So the seductive woman in Proverbs 7 represents the seductive worldview, foreign to faith in the true God. Listen as I read the Father's teaching here in Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon will he come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is God's word. In this chapter, the father tells his son a story about the seduction 
of a young man lacking sense as a sort of extended case study of this is what temptation looks like. This is how temptation works in your life. This is how it can be resisted. We can summarize this uh, teaching under four instructions. Guard your heart, watch your way, pick apart temptation, and consider the end. But before we turn to these instructions, I want to reflect for a moment on how this teaching fits into the larger Christian life. We need to make sure we're not putting the cart before the horse. In Romans 8, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. By sending his Son in, his, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. The beginning of the Christian life is Christ's work. That Christ was sent so that we could be set free from sin and its consequences. Friends, if you have not put your trust in Christ, in Jesus, I want you to hear this this morning. The way to be free from condemnation is Jesus alone. He alone has paid the penalty for our sins. He alone frees us from the power of temptation. Jesus died so we can have right standing with God and live in fellowship with him eternally. If you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord, this is what I want you to hear this morning. This is where freedom begins. It's the foundation for the whole Christian life. But then what? What happens after you put your trust in Jesus? In Romans 8, Paul continues, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the, power of, or by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you hear Paul's paradox there? We live only by putting to death sin. As John Owen memorably puts it, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Christ has broken the power of sin over us, but there's these bits of sin still in us that must be put to death. Uh, as Paul writes in, in Ephesians, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God, in his great mercy, raised us to life. But it's like we still have a little bit of grave clothes on, a little bits of you know, linen wrapped around us that stink like death. And the Christian life is taking that off. Paul can describe it as taking off the old self, unclothing yourself of the old man, the old woman, and putting on the new self. And so we're set free from the bondage of sin by God through the work of Christ, Therefore, we have to cast off sin. It no longer has power over us. This biblical teaching is carefully balanced, but we tend to lose our balance one way or the other. On the one hand, we can think we overcome sin and temptation through our own power or wisdom. Or at least we think we're supposed to be able to defeat sin through our own wisdom. But then we despair when we inevitably fail. What does Paul tell us in Romans 8.13? By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. We overcome sin and temptation only through the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, 
We can think embracing the Spirit's role in overcoming sin and temptation means that we sit back passively. We kind of have this mindset of holiness by osmosis, that one day we'll just wake up and, whoa, sin's gone? I don't feel tempted ever. It's all magic. And the truth is we will wake up like that one day, but it's only after we're laid to rest in a casket and we wake up into our new resurrected life and sin has all been finally stripped away. But in this life, we're called to do something. Paul says, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. We're called to do something, to be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And so, Christ has broken the power of sin in us, and so we are called to work out our salvation, Paul says, to put off the old self, to put to death sinful desires, to walk by the Spirit. And that means engaging our minds, guarding our hearts, combating temptation. That's where Proverbs fits into the big picture, into the, pro, uh, into the Christian life. It provides for us this astute picture of temptation, warning you, this is what temptation looks like. Be ready for it. Overcome it. Put it to death. And so Proverbs 7 begins by, by again encouraging us, guard your heart. Guard your heart. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments. Treat them like a valuable treasure. Store them up. Hold tight to them. Why? Because the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics isn't just a random list of do's and don'ts, taboos to avoid. No, God's commands are the way to life. This is what the Father says in verse 2. Keep my commands and live. Imagine our entire region through some freak accident uh, you know, some kind of a nuclear meltdown or, or a toxic chemical spill. All the air was filled with, with, it was toxic. And you had to take a pill every day to live. Would you say, would you hesitate? Would you say, you know, I kind of am sick of taking a pill every day. I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, friends, we know that our whole region, indeed our whole world, our whole hearts are filled with the toxic air of rebellion against God. And what does the Father say? Keep my commands and live. Here's the antidote. Here's the pill. Here's the way to avoid the toxic effects. Make this teaching the center of your vision. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Do whatever it takes to remember God's word, even if you have to bind it on your fingers. Internalize God's word. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Just like ancient languages were scratched onto tablets, so God's word needs to be etched into our hearts. It needs to make an impression on our character. It has to be assimilated in the very center of our being. This is what theologians call regeneration. Our hearts are transformed by God through his word. And then it reorders our desires and our affections. In the Song of Songs, the man speaks to his wife. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. And now hear what the father tells the son in Proverbs. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend. It goes from writing wisdom on your heart to marrying wisdom, taking her as your bride, as it were, to loving wisdom. When we keep God's word and we treasure it and we make it the center of our vision and we write it on our hearts and we set our affections on the things of God, on his commands and his teaching, 
then our hearts will be guarded. And the Father says, then we will be kept from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. We were introduced to this character in Proverbs 5. Uh, literally, she's a strange and foreign woman. She's from outside the community. And so the temptation she presents is a summer fling, no strings attached. She's outside the community. No one will ever find out. She doesn't know any of your friends or relatives. How do we resist that sort of temptation? Guard your heart. And now the father turns or tells this vignette, telling the son what he saw from his window. Uh, the father's distant from her world. He's not part of it, but he, he looks out onto it from his window and he wisely reflects on all that he sees. And friends, we need to learn this father's method, looking for teaching opportunities wherever they present themselves. In the first scene of the story, in verses 6 through 9, the father warns his son, watch your ways. Watch your ways. At the end of the story, in verse 22, we read, all at once he follows her. He went after her suddenly, as if without deliberation or forethought. And isn't that the way it seems when we fall into temptation? I wasn't planning for this. It just happened. I don't even know why I did it. All at once, I fell for it. But the father is a careful storyteller, and he shows us that there is a backstory. From one perspective, it, it, it happens all at once. But when we trace this backstory, we see that the young man's companions, his place, and his time each play a role in leading to this all-at-once decision. In verse 7, the father introduces us to this young man lacking in sense. Probably not the way most of us would like to be described, is it? A young man lacking in sense. But to make matters worse, do you see who his companions are? The father spots him among the simple and the youth. The simple are those who haven't made a commitment for wisdom yet. They're on the fence. And in Proverbs, the youth are those who are inexperienced. They're in need of wisdom. This young man lacks sense, and he's not going to find any with these companions who need wisdom. What's the principle here? Our companions make it easier or harder for us to grow in wisdom. Easier or harder to resist temptation. So what kind of companions are you surrounding yourself with? Well, this senseless young man is wandering about town, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Our pew Bibles make it sound like he's, he's going to her house on purpose, but the Hebrew is more ambiguous. He's, he's aimlessly meandering about, and he happens to turn down the road that happens to lead to her house. There are places where temptation is more likely. From drinking to drugs to gambling to sexual temptation, there are places where temptation is more likely. If we're going to be wise, we need to know what our weaknesses are and avoid those places where temptation will be hard to resist. Pick your battlefield. If you struggle with excessive drinking, you don't win the battle with temptation while you're sitting on a stool at the bar or in the liquor section of the grocery store on the way home from work. You make the decision ahead of time. I'm not going to go there on the way home from work. You watch your way. You steer clear of these sorts of places. 
This senseless young man's companions don't encourage wisdom, and he's in a place he shouldn't be. But there's a third factor in the equation, the time. It's in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. It's like he takes a shortcut through the red light district. And it might not be that big of a deal in the middle of the day, but in the evening at twilight, it's not somewhere you should be. If we're going to be wise friends, we need to recognize that there are times when temptation is more likely. When we're tired, when we're under stress, when we've had an argument, we're, vulnerable, we're as vulnerable to temptation as this senseless young man wandering by the seductress's house at twilight. Now, this applies to all sorts of temptations, but the father is particularly warning about sexual temptation. And in our context, friends, one of the closest analogies for many of us is aimlessly wandering about on our phones or on the internet, on questionable sites at times when we shouldn't. If you struggle in this area, you need to be wise about where and when you are using your phone or computer or watching movies. If we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us could write up a list of the times and places and situations where we know temptation is going to be most difficult. So let's be wise and honest with ourselves. Watch your way. Choose your battleground wisely. Decide ahead of time to avoid companions and places and times that are going to make it difficult to resist temptation. The third instruction that this chapter gives us is to pick apart temptation. Pick apart temptation, or we could say deconstruct the lure. The father teaches this by example in verses 10 through 20 as he picks apart the seductress's actions and words. In verses 10 through 13, the father turns his gaze from this senseless young man to the woman who comes to meet him. She's been foreshadowed already in the story, but now she takes center stage. Do you see how she's described? It's no more flattering than the description of the young man. She's dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Uh, this phrase, wily of heart, literally means her heart is guarded or it's reserved, it's kept back. Outwardly, she appears ready to give everything away, but inwardly, she offers nothing. There's no possibility of a real relationship. So many temptations we face seem to offer fulfillment, but if we stop and pick it apart, we realize there's no hope for anything real. There's no lasting happiness or fulfillment. Her demeanor is boisterous and defiant, and like the young man, she is unsettled and unrooted, lurking here and there. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. And then in verse 13, she strikes. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she speaks to him. The young man is caught in her web now. And then her speech is central to the whole episode. And after all, this is what the father warns about. Her smooth words, full of hints and implications and unreliable promises. She begins with a circumstantial story with vaguely religious overtones. I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. The sacrifice includes meat for a shared meal, and she's saying, I don't have anyone to eat it with. She's offering a nice dinner, a religious holiday as a pretense to party. Then she flatters the young man with, with false interest. She, we're told she's in the street and in the market looking for any potential partner, but what does she say to him? You're the one I was looking for. 
I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I found you. Isn't that the lie of so much of our modern culture? Pornographic materials, strip clubs, casinos, even social media, they're all designed to make you feel like someone's been eagerly seeking you in particular. But it's a lie. Any warm body with a wallet could take your place. Then verses 16 and 17, she makes this sensuous appeal. Uh, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens imported from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrhs from Arabian balsam, with aloes from India, with cinnamon from Sri Lanka. You see, she's luring him, this young man, with exotic and international goods, this promise of adventure and privilege. Look at all that you can partake in. The young man's imagination is no doubt reeling with promises of a fine meal and exotic experiences. And then in verse 18, the woman puts coyness aside and makes her blunt offer. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. The trap is sprung. It's too late. Make no mistake, though, to physically say I'm giving myself to you while emotionally and spiritually holding back is a lie. Then the reassurance in verses 19 and 20, the whole thing will be risk-free. There won't be any consequences. Don't worry, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag full of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Friends, 3,000 years later, temptation makes the same unreliable promises. Flattery, exotic and sensuous appeals, claiming it's just sex, there's no emotion, consequences, or risk. But when we pick the temptation apart and we examine it in the light of day, we see how empty these promises are, how far they are from meeting our real needs and longings. Finally, the father's fourth instruction is to consider the end. Consider the end. With seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her. Of course, if we read the story carefully, we realize that the all at once decision follows on a whole series of previous decisions. From the young man's companions to the place and time that he's out wandering to entertaining the woman's seductive speech. If he had guarded his heart, watched his way, and picked apart the temptation, there would be no all-at-once decision. And if, if, if I'm not making it clear, it seems like it's an all-at-once decision. I don't, I don't know what came over me. I just clicked on this website that I shouldn't have. But it's not an all-at-once decision. There's times, there's places, there's struggles all in the background. And that's where we've got to fight the battle if we're going to win, if we're going to be wise and put to death sin, if we're going to be killing sin lest it kill us. The lot is cast, it's too late. All at once he follows her as an ox to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Little does this senseless young man realize that he has been caught in a fatal trap. He's the walking dead. It's all over. How many temptations would we resist if we only considered the end? We contemplated the consequences of our actions. Take the simple temptation of staying up too late. 
Okay, we've probably all fallen in this area, staying up too late. You think, I'm fine, I can stay out a bit later, I can watch one more episode on Netflix, whatever it is. But if we actually sat down and said, I'm going to be groggy when I get up in the morning, I'm going to be grumpy with my family, I'm not going to be able to get my work done, I'm going to feel like garbage, we went down the list of all the consequences, we'd probably make a wiser decision. And that's with a pretty simple temptation, a, a sort of low stakes thing. Now consider the end of the sorts of sexual temptation the father is describing here. And consider the end. Broken relationships, physical effects, spiritual indifference, emptiness, feeling used. Indeed, the risk of eternal destruction. Even the senseless young man would probably make a different decision if he knew that it was going to cost him his life. So the father ends with a warning. He pleads with his son to heed his word instead of the woman's seductive speech. And now, O son, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Don't listen to her speech. Listen to my speech. Cling to the straight way of wisdom. Let not your heart turn to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Why? Well, the whole story suddenly becomes a horror story. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Indeed, her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. I'm not a horror movie fan, but it's the logic of a horror movie. Her house presents all sorts of lustful pleasures, but in fact, it's the foyer to the grave, the hallway to hell itself. Consider the end. So how do we handle temptation? The father lays it out for us. He shows us how temptation works. And at least for me, this rings very true. This is how temptation works. What do we do then? We start by guarding our hearts before temptation even arises. We watch our way to be careful. We pick our battleground. When temptation arises, we pick it apart. We say, this isn't going to satisfy my true needs, my true desires. We consider the end, the destruction that it brings. Together with the last chapter, Proverbs provides us with a wise guide. Here's how to respond to temptation internally and externally. Here's how to mind your heart and your circumstances to overcome sin and temptation. But remember, this is not a program of self-salvation. This is a program for those who have been saved and set free to cast off the patterns that slaves have. Saying your chains have been broken, you don't have to go work at the slave factory anymore. You know, uh, Israel and Egypt, you don't have to keep making bricks. You've been set free. Come enjoy the freedom. That's what this message is saying. Christ has broken the power of sin. He's paid the consequences. He has set you free. Now live in that freedom by putting to death sin by the Holy Spirit, using the wisdom of Proverbs as a guide so that we might live, so that we can enjoy that life abundantly that Christ gave himself to buy for us. Let us pray. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. Our hearts are fickle and deceptive. Temptation works because we deceive ourselves and we think we can handle it till it's too late. Thank you that you've given us guiding wisdom for how to handle temptation. And now I ask that as we sing your praises and as we come to your table, be at work within us by your Holy Spirit, giving us the desire, the desire to put to death sin 
and temptation. The desire to overcome evil, the desire to live in freedom and life that you have won for us. Lord, let us not be passive. Let us not pursue holiness by osmosis, but let us be fully engaged by the Holy Spirit. Let us put to death the deeds of the body that we might live. By your Spirit, even now, Lord, be searching our hearts. Reveal to us areas where we need to be wise about temptation and sin. Lord, give us a commitment to put into effect the various instructions you have given us to overcome temptation. May we be committed to your word that we might guard our hearts. May we be cautious watching our ways. May we, Lord, pick apart temptation and look for the true fulfillment that comes from Christ alone. And may we consider the end, looking to the true end, eternal life with Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have broken the power of sin within us and the power of temptation. Let us now live in the freedom you have won for us by your own life. Amen. As we prepare to celebrate.